Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist and a business coach at privatepracticeworkshop.com. Uh, I'm very excited to um, announce, uh, I should say introduce um, our guest. And just as I say that, text out her um, her official bio. So um, that's how my day is going. I was just telling McKenna, I have a, a two-year-old who is um, making it her full-time job to keep me awake at night. And so my days are kind of reflecting like that. Anyway, um, McKenna Sweezy is a, um, a digital empathy and remote work expert and author with a career spent working in digital organ, uh, global organizations from corporations, from corporates to startups, managing remote teams around the world. She's refined her communication skills to be as effective in person as from 6,000 miles away. Her book, How to Win Friends and Manage Remotely, is coming this fall from Career Press. She's also currently the VP of Marketing at uh, a data startup in Silicon Valley. You can find her on LinkedIn or at McKennaSweezy.com. We'll put those links in the description. Um, McKenna, thanks for bearing with me through that, um, that fumbling intro, but I'm glad of you're course. here. How's it going? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Um, so maybe you can expand a little bit on, you know, kind of your background and also, um, you know, how you got here and also just kind of what you're, what you're up to lately with your work. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I had worked in global organizations for years, um, after doing my MBA, uh, I moved to London, uh, and was working for an Israeli American company with offices all over the world. And then subsequent roles was managing teams also really all over the world. Uh, and this, of course, means a lot of meetings and managing and being managed <clears throat> via video conference, uh, which, you know, has its pros and cons. It's great to see other cultures. It's great to have a bigger footprint in your career if that's what you want. Uh, but it can also be demanding and a challenge uh, to connect with people and to get the job done virtually. Uh, so that's sort of the background. And then um, the pandemic hit and I found myself with sort of, you know, an, a social life that had been decimated. And the book that I had kind of had brewing in me really mm. came forth, um, which was great. It was a great use of that time because otherwise I probably would have gone a little stir crazy. Um, and so now I do a lot of speaking and some coaching um, in addition to my quote unquote day job. Uh, working through what I call digital empathy, um, which, you know, I, I hesitate to say that in front of someone who's obviously a licensed therapist, because, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's both a, a technical term and something we just understand socially. Um, yeah. T tell us more about what that means. Yeah. So for me, uh, digital empathy is really the ability to understand the perspective of the person you're connecting with virtually. Uh, it's not so much the empathy of like, uh, being affected by that person's feelings, like catching the feeling, but really more the cognition, the understanding, you know, you appear happy, sad, stressed, whatever. Um, and I need to, in a business sense, uh, use that information to both connect with you as a human, but also to get the job done. Um, and so being able to read that, whether it's via email or your facial expression, or, you know, any one of the millions of clues that we get, that are so different than the clues that we get from people when we're in person. Um, yeah. 
that's it. Yeah. So a lot of therapists got a crash course in, um, in that once, uh, once COVID hit, you know, and therapists that weren't already doing therapy online were quickly doing therapy online. Some, you know, making that swift transition. Uh, some of us, myself included, had been doing online therapy for a number of years just by, um, by happenstance or, or convenience, you know, of, mm. I moved to a different state, kept some California clients and, and then all of a sudden I'm doing virtual therapy back in like, you know, 2015 or something. Long, feels like a long time ago. And, um, and then it became normal really fast to be yeah. working with our clients virtually and uh, managing our teams uh, uh, virtually. And a lot of that has continued or a lot of therapists, you know, in our audience um, and the group practice owners who have multiple clinicians are um, have a team that is a hybrid, right? Some that are in person and they connect with and they might live in your city and some are virtual and who, whom we've never met. Um, that's, that's how my group practice is currently in this kind of hybrid team. Um, so kind of the new normal, you know, with the therapy piece, it's interesting because the, the research on this for, for us shows that online therapy is um, by the numbers as effective as in-person therapy. Um, I think it's probably hard to measure the nuance though of what's lost or how you make up for um you know what you lose in yeah. uh, video and going to virtual you know we spent better part of six months in graduate school just learning to read uh you know nonverbal cues and respond non-verbally ourselves and so a lot of that that data we get in session in person is um is all of a sudden reduced to the square that you and i are looking at here on youtube with one another so yeah yeah absolutely and i think uh, you know, it, I mean, therapy for the practitioner is a job and you are trying to do yeah. the best job that you can, which is not so different than other people who are, are working towards this. Um, and I think the most, oh gosh, I've lost my train of thought. Well, the most interesting part about that connection and about that is that there are now different clues, right? Where you're sitting, what your posture looks like. Anyways, you're, you're getting smaller things, but yeah. they're different. Um, that's actually one of the first places I start, you know, with people, whether yeah. it's a team member or a client is, hey, you're in a different location. Hey, you got a different cat or two in the background or whatever it is and just trying to connect with where are they? What's going on? People are often in a very different mental and emotional space depending on their location. They might be like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm um, back home visiting family or I have a family crisis and I'm, you know, things are in the background or I've got kids in the background, whatever it is. And so we are kind of living at work now um, mm -hmm. for better, for worse. I had already been working remotely for the past like two and a half years before COVID hit um, and was growing quite, quite tired of it. And then um, <laughs> this, this thing kept me here a lot longer than yeah. I anticipated. Um, I'm really interested, you know, in this piece about teams and virtual um, virtual leadership. You know, we like I said, we have a lot of group practice owners that either have a full virtual team and they've said, we're never going back to the office. This is the way that we're doing things. And clients want virtual therapy and therapists want the, the freedom and flexibility to be wherever. Then the big question becomes, um, how do you build a team virtually? How do you stay connected? How do you build culture? Uh, at what point do you do a team offsite? And what do you mm -hmm. do with that offsite? I mean, all, all these questions. Um, but where would you start with like a, a leader who's thinking about this this digital um, virtual leadership piece? So I think there are three really important considerations. And the first one you mentioned is that at some point you do probably need to get together in person. Um, it is it is just much easier um, if you are holding offsites at some regular cadence 
um, to build that interpersonal connection that can sustain you and sort of, you know, pay it for, pay it into the bank that you're going to draw down upon uh, as time goes on. So that's the first one. Um, I think the other thing about remote work is to really prepare for asynchronous work um, because of the limitations of uh, virtual meetings, being able yeah. to work at your own cadence, to share knowledge as effectively and distribute that knowledge as effectively as possible with, you know, the best technology. Yeah. Um, can can you yeah. define real quick what asyn asynchronous oh, work means? That my, my wife is in tech, so I, I learned like two weeks ago, but she was using slang with her team saying, we'll, we'll work on this async. And I was like, you know, you another piece of tech slang that I'm learning today, but yeah. Absolutely. So asynchronous work is just the work that you do not in collaboration in a temporal way. So meetings are the best example of synchronous collaborative work. Obviously, you're all in the same place doing the same topic at the same time. Um, and asynchronous work can be email, um, depending on your usage, can be something like Slack, can certainly yeah. be working together on like a document and commenting in the sidelines. Oh, change that, change this. Um, you know, it's really anything enabled yeah. where you're not in the same temporal moment while you're working. Before moving back to San Francisco, I lived in Paris, and that is a very solid nine hours ahead of San Francisco, mm -hmm. where I had clients and team members. And so our overlap was quite small and quite precious during the day. Um, that was a big consideration, right? Or even mm -hmm. again, just the mental space I'm in at the end of my day, and that they're in at the very beginning of their day, right? And so how do you, how do you make sense of that piece and make sure teams are kind of coming together and staying on the same page? So one of the things I really advise people to do is to start with yourself because you've always got to start with yourself uh, and think about your energy um, as it relates to your circadian rhythms. Um, and you either have like a natural inclination to at that in Paris 6 p.m. time to be ready to take those calls. And that's great. And that's fantastic. But some people are not going to uh, and that they have to you know, change what's going on in their day, whether that's when they work out, go for a walk, have a coffee, anything to know that that 6 p.m. happens every day and you have to be ready for those team meetings. Uh, and so you have to, you know, rejigger the way you feel about 6 p.m. Um, and it, it could mean shifting your whole day. Um, it's just putting yourself in that mindset uh, when you have like a necessary way to schedule your day around other people so that you can meet them on that same footing. Um, yeah. The, the other piece that this that becomes relevant very quickly is um, having boundaries with our work, right? Um, I, I think this is very difficult. I've, a lot of my therapy clients as well as my consulting clients struggle with this because you, like I will do after this, this call, I will shut the computer very quickly and go pick up my daughter for an appointment, right? Or just run upstairs and all of a sudden I go from this job whatever I do here, who knows, to being a dad and a husband and all these things, right? And, and that transition can be very quick and very disorienting. And your mind is still going, your mind's still at work, you're yeah. still getting Slack messages, right? And a lot of people feel that need to always be on or always be checking, or you have people in different time zones, you know, my wife's company just, um, they have people in Australia now all of a sudden. And so it's like, um, there's that that feeling of obligation of oh let me just check real quick and then all of a sudden yeah. you're working uh you know two shifts a day so to speak and the lack of commute you know commutes are great yeah. for telling you that now is office time and now oh, is I not totally office agree. time yeah uh, 
so that is as I I try to both create a commute, you know, yeah. like as much as you can mentally, whether it's five minutes or twenty minutes, uh, yeah. on both ends, and then also the problem is like everyone has different access to the space that they work in. And yeah. if you live in a tight city, you are working from the kitchen table. Yeah. Um, and if you're out in the burbs, you can have an, maybe an office uh, and yeah. really delineate those two. Um, so yeah. any rituals, I always tell people like, I like to write my notes down at the end of the day. I actually have completely illegible handwriting. I never read the notes again, yeah. but it's, you know, another laptop I'm closing yeah. mm -hmm. um, and saying, okay, this is over yeah. now. I think it's huge. I mean, your brain needs some sort of cue that the day is done and something is changing, right? I A few things I suggest to my clients are, um, yeah, making a list of either what you did today, what you're going to do tomorrow. Um, uh, you know, my, my friend Kelly, she lights a candle while she's working and blows it out when she's done. Um, read this book, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. And so mm -hmm. I do this mm -hmm. um, pretty psychotic thing where you say out loud, shut down complete, and then close your computer. So <laughs> treating yourself like a computer, you know. Um, but whatever the cue is, right, you yeah. could say, you know, shiny red balloons and then shut your computer. But um, And then something physical for me. So if I can, one is change your outfit. Even if it all it means is changing your shirt and throwing yeah. on a hoodie, there's something about that that helps you change, be a little more comfortable. Um, the associations of just being at work or being kind of dressed for work, same thing in the morning, you know, make that make that shift as well and be fully ready for the day. And then maybe even just a walk around the block mm -hmm. to kind of tell your, you know, to, to create that separation. And um, if you can, try not to log back into work again, right? Unless you have a lot going on or it's a maybe a busy period of your life, but try to really leave work at work um, and, and practice those boundaries, especially if you're a leader, because your team is also looking to see if you're on on Slack at 1130 mm -hmm. or on Sunday morning or whatever it is. And then they think, well, I, I should probably do that too. And I'm, I'm going to say something controversial here. I think- Do it. Uh, I, I, while I agree completely, we should all be trying to shut down. I think in the demand, you know, and it depends on, you shouldn't be penalized for not being able to do this. But in the demands of a 24-hour global economy, and if you are working with people in Australia, it can be meaningfully helpful to log in for 15 minutes at 8 o'clock yeah. p.m. Uh, and scoot some things along. Uh, but I think it's about being transparent about that, being yeah. not demanding of your team and saying, I am doing this, I know I'm doing this. And then having the forethought to, if those emails uh, are only to people in your own time zone, or if you can convey that, schedule send. Um, yeah. but be transparent that, that, you know, I'm doing this. I do not need you to do this, but like my ambition demands, I scoot this ball forward. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just inevitable. Right. And, you know, my wife was going through that not long ago with this, um, this acquisition, um, you know, for, for therapists, we have, um, we have lots of opportunities to keep our work fairly boundary. The job is relatively simple in that you show up, see clients or meet with your team and then shut things down. And mm -hmm. oftentimes we are in the same time zone or city. And so, um, yeah, th there's a lot of reasons why we can often have decent boundaries with work, but a lot of times we don't. And, yeah. you know, life and work uh, fully bleed into, into one and, I think part of it for me is just doing it with intention, right? And if you are logging on kind of after dinner is having some intention about why I'm doing it and what I'm doing and 
being mindful of whether it's disruptive for other parts of my life mm -hmm. or my relationships or whatever it is, or if I'm just doing it because I feel behind or I feel like, you know, um, I don't know what else to do. I'm sitting here watching Netflix, so I might as well be on Slack. I don't know what the, the boundary yeah. is, but yeah. I've reached the end of Netflix, and so now back to Slack. Yeah, exactly. Well, they have the autoplay my... feature now, so they'll just play another film, even if you. That's how like my uh, Slack feels as well, though. It just keeps yeah. going. <laughs> um, I, you know, you you bring up two really interesting points, and and one of them actually is is Slack, which I I think we probably don't talk enough about, and this yeah, applies to, to talk about it. other yeah. tools that are very similar. But Slack is a news feed, uh, yeah. essentially. And everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people know about the, the inherent issues with news feeds because it's a constant stream of information that you feel like you should react to. And that can be stressful and it can be stressful. It's 9 p.m. Um, and while there's technology that you can set up within Slack or other tools to say, okay, you know, I only want to see these messages between these hours and I want to do this. Like yeah. the, that, that takes a lot of willpower in the beginning. Not everyone has. Everyone should. I recommend everyone do that. Um, and then, you know, things slip through the cracks and then suddenly yeah. you're wired and you're already in and you're ready to go and one well, yeah. look at everything. So I think you've really, as I would expect, obviously from someone in your profession, you know, that being honest with yourself about why you're doing it and what you're going to get out of it. Um, I'd never thought about that before. So I'm delighted, particularly delighted to be here with you yeah. um, and hear that perspective. You know, and just to tell you, I, I guess... A little bit where I think a lot of therapists are at, even in a, a group practice that has a small team or even a large team, a, a lot of group practice owners would say, "What is Slack?" Um, a lot of us are quite behind with the, with technology compared to tech companies. You know, I and I live in Silicon Valley, but and I work with a lot of tech, you know, clients. But um, for, for us, for for my group practice, you know, it's a really powerful way to cut down on email. Mm -hmm. to keep us more connected, to keep, to get things resolved quickly. Um, and even for the kind of um, team culture piece to have uh, like fun channels. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying this is a total replacement for creating company culture. That's like, okay, I created a fun Slack channel. Now yeah. we have team culture. We're done. Um, but, <laughs> you know, we, bef a while back um, we were talking in, in our team meeting about um we see teenagers in the practice and there's some teen slang that will just floor you and uh it changes so fast and of course none of it's the kind of stuff we said when i was a teenager and so someone made a slack channel for that and now we share new teen slang that we learn every week and it's quite fun and someone mentioned it recently in a job we were interviewing a candidate and they're like what's the culture like and they mentioned how fun that channel is <laughs> so i'm like hey i'm glad glad you guys like it it was someone else's idea you could probably sell that information. Yeah, I know, right? It's just create like a... Um, so there's a, an Instagram you know, there. Yeah. I think also what's great about Slack and you, uh, whether or not it's a replacement for email um, and for everyone, Slack uh, is a work tool and it has boundaries. Email has even better boundaries because it has a subject line and that's an indicator of what's to come. And so you can choose to open or not open depending on mm. how effective someone's been on this warning. Um, Slack is not quite as good. And then if you get down to something like text messaging, like that can be incredibly invasive in a professional yeah, setting. Right. Um, there's right. no subject line, there's no warning, and you're yeah. texting with your mom about something and now suddenly you've like got a, a work totally. piece of information. Um, so that's about another thing, an example of like, how can I set boundaries using the technology I have? And it's a part of culture. We don't do this, we do do this. This is what we use to convey this right. type of information. 
And if you don't tell team members how communication works here, they will just text you, right? I mean, they will, um, you know, violate those boundaries because they never existed. And then a lot of leaders will be frustrated when they are on vacation or in my case, if I'm with my daughter, right. And, um, I'm, I'm, you know, things are falling in my lap or getting texts that, that shouldn't be happening. So ultimately it falls back on me to not have communicated that, um, for, for those, we got a handful of people here live uh, on YouTube. Um, if you have questions um, uh, for McKenna or for me, feel free to ask them. We're talking about um, this idea of digital empathy and virtual uh, leadership. And um, at least for me, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, like I said, I think this kind of virtual environment is here to stay, even for therapists. A lot of us, uh, myself included, it's a hybrid kind of model. And um, even planning things like, um, you know, an in-person dinner, I have to also think about those virtual team members and how do we, you know, include them and um, and keep building culture right along the way. So what what other thoughts do you have about it or um, and, and how do you help people with this with this part of, oh, of business? My favorite thing to talk about is virtual <laughs> team building. Um, I, I think and I think I said this before that uh, maybe I didn't. I've said it certainly today because this is all I think about. You can um, say it again. I, I say everything three times. Good, good. Well, so. you know, the rule of three. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them again. <laughs> um, is that when you are talking about a remote team uh, or a hybrid team particularly, it should be remote first. And so if you're thinking about team building or team bonding experiences, not to say that you can't go out to dinner with the people that are around you, but that can't really be seen as like, the proper team building. Team building mm -hmm. happens with everyone. And it can be as simple and fun as a funny Slack channel that people really commit to. Um, and it takes a very uh, digitally empathetic leader to step back and let those channels evolve naturally. I yeah. have been a non-empathetic leader in my past and really tried to make the fun Slack channels a little bit of a forced fun. Anyways, I was trying, you know, I mean, it could be a lot worse. Well, the forced fun thing is a huge topic for me too, because I get a lot of questions of like, or even my friends who are in tech, they're like, in the middle of COVID, they're like, dear God, another virtual happy hour, right? I, I can't horrible. do seven more of these this week um, when I've already been on Zoom for nine and a half hours. So um, the, the, the forced fun part is very topical and I'm very aware of that in my own, you know, my own uh, group practice. So and I think there are activities that are better on a computer. I mean, the most salient example is obviously video games yeah. um, and any type of virtual escape room where like they are designed to be fun on a computer. So that's a much better team building experience than just sitting around and, and doing something that was good in person, like having a drink, uh, not it's kind of weird uh, over Zoom. So leaning into those ones that were designed to be digital. Um, you know, I, and I've done like a cooking course and that's pretty good. Uh, it's a little harder because nobody's like laptops in their kitchen. Um, I've heard of teams doing painting classes, which is really great because it's both screen and not. Um, mm. And you have something to show for it. Um, my favorite game is Zoom Bingo. That's a long term. It's an asynchronous hybrid team building event where I'm trying to catch you doing something over the course of meetings over a month you know, wearing a blue shirt, wearing the same shirt two days in a row with your Christmas tree still up in the middle of January, whatever the funny, oh, wow. you know, it's a bingo card. Um, yeah. So that it also drives presence in meetings because we know that sometimes people are like, 
type bang and looking the other direction. Yeah, oh, that's fun. It's like a scavenger hunt. Exactly. And is there like a an, uh, a website where you play this or do you just create it like on your own? You know, I can find it. There, I will probably anyone could Google this. There is a website where you can make a bingo card. Um, yeah. And uh, you can just, you know, come up with a list. Um, I actually, I'm pretty sure I have one on my website. Um, if you just look at my team building blog posts. Cool. Um, but you can also just come up with them on your own. You know, what are things that are, you know, part of the culture already? Um, yeah. Because some level of teasing is appropriate in some cultures and some level is, is not in a more formal culture. Yeah. We have a question that's um, kind of what we're, what, we're, what we're already on here. So um, uh, the, the question is, what are other ways to promote connection in, in company culture virtually? And uh, we're talking about fun, which is perhaps a, um, if a form or a gateway to, to connection, but how do you get members, you know, feeling connected to one another? And even in the case of, let's say new team members that don't have the experience of, you know, a week of in-person onboarding and going to lunch with their manager and their team and all that sort of stuff that, you know, I went through years ago in my first agency job. Yeah. I think there are a couple of spectrums I like to think. So as a manager, you want to sit there and, and look at the next, let's say, six months of the calendar and say, we need to have at least one thing a month that we try to drive people together um, because it and probably more so than you would have had in a normal office um, because there is this like this distance, this dehumanization that comes to looking at through someone through a screen. So one of the things I like to think about is like the spectrum of um, skill building to fun. Because there are lots of team building events, like a like a virtual public speaking course, um, yeah. which is both a bonding experience and a like a business experience. Yeah. Um, obviously, you could do like Zoom. a virtual trust fall where you just fall in your own yeah. room and no one <laughs> yeah. catches oh, you. Awkward. Um, Into your laptop. Maybe yeah, I should probably think that through more. But <laughs> um, and uh, and then obviously there's the delight. Um, another thing I like to think about is collaborative versus competitive events. Um, competitive events can really like get galvanize a team together because you have an other. So whether that's like an escape room where you have like two teams mm. competing against each other, um, or, you know, the bingo things that are competitive, get people excited. Uh, obviously yeah. you don't want to drive too much competition. That's a wedge, yeah. but, but then there's collaborative. Um, mm. and I, you can do a lot of things that are collaborative. Again, escape rooms are collaborative and competitive because you do it together. Um, you yeah. can do there are other games that allow you to, you know, pool your resources yeah. and, and achieve things. Um, there must be a virtual version of you know those dunk tanks when you throw a softball and you hit the lever and your boss gets dunked into a tank. Dunk. <laughs> it's right up there with the uh, virtual trust fall. Yeah, getting pied virtually, you know, pie in the face. Um, yeah, we got to get creative here. Yeah, but I, mm -hmm. I, in all seriousness, um, you, you know, you're. It's interesting to think about the the kind of elements um, that are within these exercises or activities, rather than just throwing something out there again, like the virtual happy hour, and then people are just sitting, going, "Yeah, I've been sitting with this dude for nine hours, and now it's just an extra hour with the drink. Yeah, and I'm obligated to be here." Yeah, I think another one is the intimacy of these events. You know, you have some team building events that are extremely intimate. Take something like, I don't know if you've ever done life mapping, but where you, if, if life has an average level of this um, and you plot three points that are above your average extreme happiness and three points that are extreme lows and you, you draw it and it's a, 
and you show it to your colleagues. And so you can do this very much virtually. Um, and it's pretty re extremely revealing. It often leads to tears. And that's something you walk away from in the right circumstances, feeling like, okay, I now know more about this person. They've really opened up to me. Um, and that can be great for some teams. Obviously for some, it's way too much and like totally inappropriate. Mm -hmm. um, or you could have something like a Myers-Briggs test. Um, I don't know how therapists feel about those, um, oh, yeah. but they're pretty, a little bit valid. revealing. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, it's, not, it's not like the worst thing that ever happened to you, but it does say, who am I? What kind of person am I? Um, yeah. In a way that's yeah. fun and businessy. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, man, as therapists, we are gluttons for, you know, like self-exploration and self-disclosure. <laughs> so that's, there's no problem there. Um, another question here um, is, can you elaborate more on digital empathy and the ap application? Yeah, I guess how it works to kind of uh, uh, show digital empathy or even we went back to that Slack piece. Let's face it, a lot can be misconstrued, you know, um, when, when you remove tone or when yeah. you're the the rush of things and you're like, you know, drop a comment on Slack or you're, in my case, I'm sarcastic a lot or make, you know, really bad dad jokes as of the past two years. So <laughs> lots of occupational hazards on my end, but I'll, I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So I think uh, digital empathy is putting yourself in a position where you're going to read as many, you're both going to read as many cues that are nonverbal as possible. And then uh, give others around you the opportunity to react to your own richer cues than just say the words in an email. So reacting to is noticing differences. Um, is my colleague speaking more animatedly, less animatedly? Like are there changes in their body language, tension where they're sitting, um, you know, camera on, camera off? You know, it's really yeah. mostly like changes in the patterns of behavior uh, yeah. that you can get used to. And, I find it oh, yeah. so easy just to, sorry to, no, no. you know, when I hop on Zoom calls, just to go right to the business stuff. Because um, I, I guess it maybe it unconsciously feels like more work to, uh, you mm -hmm. know, just kind of check in or hang out or, you know, have tea as, as you know, my mentor used to say. Um, so I don't know what that is or just the impatience or part of me not wanting to be on Zoom any longer than I have to be, you know, but mm -hmm. that feels like a, a bit of a, a a block to me that I'm uh, not interested in solving. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> um, it's a business tool. You don't go into it in the same way that you, you do in a social yeah. situation. Um, yeah. So, you know, reading those cues, trying to get them, being more uh, open about asking how people are doing, which is a little bit what you were saying. You know, we have to remember to build it in. Um, and to be thoughtful about trying to check in with people. Obviously, not everyone is forthcoming or they may not want to share or they may not be able to, but um, at least putting it out there because sometimes you are going to get an answer that's really helpful. Um, yeah. And then for your own communication, uh, I, emotions are contagious. Like I don't need to tell you this, but they are contagious, obviously, in person. They're even contagious over email. Um, yeah. People know when people are upset. Uh, but they don't always get it right. So uh, one, yeah. I am notorious for my use of emojis and I hate saying this word in public, GIFs, GIFs. Um, yeah. Because they yeah. do convey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're like, I'm not going to repeat that. Um, they do convey usually if you're using them correctly. Now you mentioned the teenagers and the slang. There's some, uh, some evolutions. Yeah. 
but generally a smiley face means a smiley face and a, a wink means, you know, yeah. take this lightly. Um, yeah. But there's, and, and GIFs can mean anything you want. So um, being able to use that richness of communication, um, you know, not writing things when you are in a bad mood. Um, sometimes I like to copy and paste emails from when I knew I was in a good mood. Uh, yeah. And just be able to use that same language and that same tone uh, because yeah. today I can't. Um, so it's like some people, you know, the iPhone's uh, default setting is at the signature of an email says, excuse, pardon my brevity, this is typed on an iPhone. In my case, it would be part part of my moodiness. Um, my yeah. daughter didn't sleep last night. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be kind tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. little banner. A little, a small banner. And, but that's really quite valid. Um, and you know, I think we probably, you know, you could, and I'm, I'm sure, I don't know. I've worked with lots of jokesters and putting up funny Slack backgrounds that are conveying different things about your mood or making fun of someone else. We do have some visual tools to say things, um, to people about how you're feeling today, or you can just say it. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I guess another piece that I'm thinking of is um, uh, with therapists that I work with, we work a lot on mission, vision, and values. And the values piece, you know, getting clear on the core values of the company, I guess I'm feeling like that piece has to be relevant here in terms of um, who are we as a company? What do we stand for? Um, what are the attributes that we um, that we want to see in our team members and, and that we want to honor and kind of measure people uh, again, so to speak. So, um, does that come up with like the work that you're doing or how would you even think about infusing values into this piece of, um, kind of virtual, um, uh, team culture, company culture? So I kind of think, and, and have definitely thought about that culture is the manifestation of those values. Mm-hmm. It's like what actually happens. And, uh, sometimes culture is what times people leave, how you react to someone when they are having a bad day, Um, how do you swear in the office? All of these are things that should flow from what kind of culture, from what kind of value or mission statement we have as a business. Uh, And so I think one of the things I advise is kind of pulling the team and asking, you know, what three things happened this week that embody Mm. the culture and then mapping those to the values or the mission of the business, because oftentimes there might be a disconnect And you mentioned new starters. If you're a new starter and you come in and you say, we're a thoughtful organization and we value perfection over speed, which is not necessarily right or wrong. It's a thing. But then if you have a a management team who's really like speed, 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 and you're taking calls at 9 p.m. so we can get it done before tomorrow, um, that's a disconnect on, on what you are. And so one of those two has to change so that people can understand how they're supposed to behave. That's great. Um, we we've got just uh, about five minutes left. So I want to make so I'm gonna want to make sure that um, you can share anything that you feel like we've missed. And also, I know with um, uh, that you have a book coming out, which is, which is very exciting and something I'd be quite interested in. So um, yeah, I guess what else should people know um, that we maybe haven't touched on here? And then love to hear a little bit more about the book um, as we get toward uh, wrapping up here. Yeah, gosh, I mean, I could talk about this for for hours at a time. Um, one thing we didn't really focus on too much is like good meeting hygiene. And when you're talking about being a leader and you're in the practice and you want to get things done, I think that 
issue I think comes to the forefront. I see it all the time that people don't come with an agenda. They don't come with roles and they don't come with like a clear stated Mm. purpose. And back to, you know, if you're in Paris and I'm taking your valuable 6 PM time, we better have a good reason for that meeting. Should we even be having this meeting? Um, What are we there and what are we going to achieve? And being able to use the tool then, which helps with people interrupting. It helps with, you know, what happens afterwards. It helps with who should attend and who shouldn't attend. Um, The more transparent you can be about why we're using this meeting, uh, the more, the easier it is to schedule them, to schedule how often they are, who comes, uh, those big questions, which can be very annoying depending on how many meetings are on your calendar. Yeah. Which for most people, it's a lot, whether it's in our case with clients or um, in the case of my wife, you know, it's, it's team meetings at a tech company and um, it's, it's, she works in L and D and she, this is very much her wheelhouse. um, And uh, they start and end meetings um, pretty precisely on time. And I've always Mm -hmm. been impressed by that. And it's, it can be a slippery slope, right? You go four minutes over because someone wants to hear themselves talk and then your whole day is kind of screwed and it's a, it's a respect thing. It's a culture thing for sure. And exactly, um, yeah. And ultimately people need to get to be allowed to do their work as well and not mm-hmm. um, just be talking about the work all the time. So um, yeah, I know the meeting hygiene thing is, is I think important. And again, just like people don't like forced fun or uh, they also don't like meetings that don't have a purpose and an mm-hmm. agenda and a direction. Um I think that's certainly something a lot of practice owners get into of, I just feel like we should meet. So we meet and then you look at your team members and go, what do you guys want to talk about? And they go, what do you want to talk about boss? You know, this is your meeting. It's like, I don't (laughs) know. I just work here. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, that's digital empathy for me is respecting you and saying, what am I doing and how is it landing with you? And can I try to use your perspective to inform my behavior for the greater good? Um, in our business. And so that's a big one. I want to respect your time. I want you to respect my time. Um, yeah. This is, it's a goal. It's great. And a part great. of culture. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, as we wrap up here, McKenna, what else should people know? How can they get in touch, learn more about the book, all that good stuff? And then we'll obviously put links to, to things in the show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, um, the, the description here. Awesome. So uh, my book is available for pre-order now on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. It's called How to Win Friends and Manage Remotely. Uh, You can also check out my website. I obviously blog and newsletter like everyone. It's McKennaSwayze.com or find me on LinkedIn. But yeah, I'm always, you know, thinking and writing about these things. I think it's such an opportunity for everyone to make their workplace more enjoyable uh, in a work from home scenario. I, I mean, the timing for you and this focus is kind of incredible. And again, I think we're we're kind of just getting started. I look yeah. at my own team. I look at my wife's company of, you know, thousands and thousands of people that are now can live wherever they want and they are going mm-hmm. and living wherever they want. So um, there's, there's, I think, a lot more attention and resources that are going to be put into this piece of, of culture and the, the remote workforce. So um, fascinating stuff. And, and, we have to keep evolving, you know, think about what else yeah. we can do to take care of our people. So this has been an interesting one for me and I've got a lot to think about myself. Um, yeah. Thank you again for doing this. It's been, it's been a great one. No, it's been um, fascinating. I like how, yeah. hearing how different businesses have to approach, you know, these similar problems. Yeah. Some people are a little freaked out talking to therapists, but um, 
you know, <laughs> I have a therapist in the family. It doesn't bother me. We're... Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. That, that helps. That can go either way too, though. You know, some people yes. like, yes, it can. <laughs> um, well, for, for folks that are uh, listening or again, watching, um, we're going to be back here, same time, same place. Um, looking at it for the next three weeks, we've got guests lined up um, uh, every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to attend live, hop on YouTube, just look at look up private practice workshop and uh, you can be notified for the next live interview um, or just hop on at 3 p.m. Pacific next Tuesday um, uh, with our next guest, um, Lisa Haggis, talking about some uh, branding. She's from realizeyourbrand.com. So that's a, one of my favorite topics. So look forward to, to that happening. And um, yeah, again, uh, McKenna, thanks for being here. And uh, um, it was really great to connect with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Take care. Bye.